Welcome to Season 5 of KnowledgeCast, hosted by Jack Williams. We're excited about this season's guest, and you can learn more about this new season along with our guest in previous seasons at jackwwilliams.com slash podcast. Now let's listen in to an all-new episode with Jack and this week's special guest. Welcome to our fifth season of KnowledgeCast. Glad that you joined us today, and if you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're one of our regulars, thanks for coming back. Well, today we're going to go a little bit deeper in our introduction of our guest, and as we get in today's session, you'll understand why. Today, I've got the honor of introducing you to an extraordinary individual, Ignacio Montoya. Ignacio's life story is just a real testament to the indomitable human spirit and the power of resilience. He was born in Cuba and of Portuguese and Spanish descent. Ignacio has achieved feats that literally defy the odds and, and will inspire us all. He's a fighter pilot, a biomedical engineer, a pathokinesiology researcher, a future neuroscientist, and recently space accessibility ambassador. Ignacio's accomplishments are as diverse as they are awe-inspiring, and he doesn't seem to be stopping or slowing down anytime soon, and listen to this, not even in the face of complete paralysis or death. Ignacio's journey took an unexpected turn when a devastating motorcycle accident 10 years ago left him completely paralyzed with only one functioning lip, his left arm. Pronounced dead at the scene for 15 minutes, he defied the odds and woke up from a three-month coma on February 28, 2013, and announcing his return to life through a simple Facebook post, I am alive, and alive he is, as we're about to see. Well, after his accident, Ignacio has earned two master degrees, one in kinesiology to delve into the science of human movement and another in biomedical engineering, kind of bridging the gap between engineering and medicine. His thirst for challenges has led him to take on other physical activities after his accident. He has engaged in skydiving, scuba diving, flying a fighter jet, water skiing, and snow skiing, just to cover a few. His goal is to continue to break down barriers and inspire others to achieve more than they think are capable of achieving. Ignacio's story is so incredible that we're going to do two episodes with him to try to cover uh, as much of it as we possibly can. So welcome, Ignacio, to uh, Knowledge Cast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, listen, let's, let's kind of get, here's the way I'd like to do it. Let's start at the crisis point in your life, the accident, and then we'll work backwards to tell about how you came to the country and then what has happened after the accident and what you're doing now. So let's start with your accident. Share with our audience what you were doing at that stage of your life uh, and then the accident and the severity of your injuries. Absolutely. Uh, Well, December 4th, 2012. One day after my birthday, I had just turned 22 years old and I was on my, in my very last uh, semester of Air Force ROTC at Georgia Tech. Um, and dually, I was cross enrolled at Georgia State University, just less than five minutes away from Georgia Tech, which I would travel in between on my motorcycle um, all the time. And uh I was duly enrolled at Georgia State studying business administration. And um, I had already gotten selected for undergraduate pilot training on Valentine's Day. 
uh, it was the greatest Valentine's Day of my life, getting selected uh, for the rated pilot slot. And um, this was nine months later in, in December, on December 4th. Um, and I was riding home from a from a, a mandatory day of military training uh, when at 700 feet from turning into into my neighborhood, a careless driver made a, a left turn inter, right in front of me, uh, not permitting me, not allowing me the, the chance to even break uh, or even see her. It was, it was an instant impact going at about 50, 45, 50 miles an hour. I was about to turn into my neighborhood, so I couldn't have been going fast. Um, but she reported that she just did not see the motorcycle. And um, my life at that moment completely changed. I was, like I said, what weeks, less than a few weeks away from finishing my, my, my dual degrees, commissioning as a second lieutenant. Um, I was only one of five selected for pilot slots on that Valentine's Day. 2012. And um, I was really proud. I was really proud of my accomplishments, everything that I had done, especially having been born in Cuba um, and having to, you know, climb, climb as many mountains and as many obstacles along the way to get to where I'd been. Um, and I felt like I was at the peak at the summit of my, of my dreams um, at that moment. But life, life changed. And um, I remember uh, as soon as I woke up from the from the coma, you know, the first the first thoughts that came into my mind were all that Air Force training that I had gone through for those four, four years um, in Air Force ROTC at Georgia Tech. And the first words that came into my mind were, Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. This acronym, OODA loop, that we OODA loop. Very yeah. familiar with that. Yeah. 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 And 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 um, the OODA loop popped into my head. And um, anyways, uh, it was a, a defining moment of my life, and um, resulting in a T four T five spinal cord injury. Uh, Paralysis, complete paralysis from the chest down, along with a brachial plexus injury to my right arm, which is the the brachial plexus network of nerves is the five main nerves that that go to to the upper extremities, and three of those five were ripped from the root to where they connect to the spinal cord. So chances of connecting those peripheral nerves back to the spinal cord were were very uh, slim. And those, the, that science and medicine has not gotten there yet. So that's, that's uh, pretty much uh, what occurred. Um, well, you told me, uh, you know, obviously you had a lot going through your mind at that time. And we'll come back a little later about the coma and some of that. But you told me you had a major decision to make. You had two doors that you could go through after that accident. Tell us about those options and your thought process. Yeah, um, you know, it was, uh, 
it was incredibly difficult. I woke up from the three month coma on February 28th, 2013 at Shepherd Center in Atlanta. The accident had happened in uh, in Winnett County in the suburbs of Atlanta um, where, where I was staying at, with my sister and um, she had uh, bought a house recently and um, and I was living there while I was going to the universities. And I woke up at Shepherd Center. What I what I'd heard were was one of the top ten rehabilitation hospitals in the U.S. and in the world for spinal cord injuries. And um, I I woke up and I I felt positive about where I was, what I was, the words of optimism and encouragement I would that I would hear from my family members. There was not a, a night where um a family member of mine you know spend the night in the hospital and i was on the only one in the whole floor they would tell me that that um that had family staying over in in the room and sleeping there and and helping them and um i i i woke up to find out that that i had been um medically discharged from continuing my commission as a second lieutenant and 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 continuing the uh the my dreams of being a fighter pilot and going on to undergraduate pilot training my first assignment had already been selected i already had a top secret clearance i already had um i was going to shepherd air force base texas uh to do the uh, nato NGIPT fighter pilot training program and um, be a part of that and I learned about the severity of the injury that I had less than a 1% chance of ever walking again. The doctor, uh, Dr. Bowman, um, great physician at Shepherd, he explained the, the spinal cord injury to me that the spinal cord was like, like a banana. And he used that analogy in the fact that imagine that you have a banana and the banana is completely crushed in the middle, squeezed. You know, we don't know, we don't necessarily understand in medicine, science, uh, in this day and age, how to make that banana regrow. And, and he said, now imagine your, that's, that's your nerves, your nervous system, your spinal cord. And at that moment, I understood, um, I understood that, that, you know, there was, um, this was an uphill to climb, a challenge to, to face. Um, and like I said, I, I relied on that officer training, the OODA loop, um, the, the mentality of having lost my mother at four years old in Cuba. Um, I was born into this world of, of, of communism, of a dictatorship where life was, was a bit difficult. People would break in into our house um, and there was just real poverty. Cuba had separated from the Soviet Union, the fall of the Soviet Union was around that time, 1990. So I was born into this chaotic environment. And on, adding on top of that, at four years old, my mother is diagnosed with leukemia out of nowhere from a foot injury that she got. She was uh, cleaning the house or sweeping or something. Something fell on her foot and that, that small cut would not, would not heal. So they told her she was diagnosed with leukemia and less than nine months later, the most healthiest, happiest, 
um, woman ever just gone. And, and that's what I was facing at four years old with my father who had been forced like every man in Cuba to be in the Cuban military and stand up for something that he didn't believe in. His father didn't believe in none of my family did because they, they, they saw the oppression that came with the, uh, with the, um, what do you call it? The, uh, the utopia that Fidel Castro would, would speak about. Uh, they saw the, uh, lots of, lots of my family. I come from Portuguese descent, as you mentioned at the beginning, uh, a lot of my family on my mother's side, they all came from Portugal and, um, they had lands, they had stores, they were well off and, and the government came and took everything, absolutely everything. And even my grandfather's life, uh, he was hung from a tree, uh, in the sixties when he didn't want to give up his stores and everything that he had worked for decades trying to build. Uh, they came from Portugal with nothing, nothing but the clothes they had on their backs. And they had created a uh, very, very, uh, they were well off and had created a lot of good things for themselves. So, you know, that's, that's a bit of the background and, um, well, that, that's a good point to lead into the next question. Let's talk about, you know, that's that's the background of, of why we've got you on on here and that the the obstacles, obviously, that, that you're going to be dealing with the rest of your life. But let's go back now. You were talking about the situation in Cuba, um, and you and your dad have an opportunity to come to the United States. Tell us how all that happened. Yeah, that was in 19, uh, 1996 that my dad had, uh, well, just before my mother passed away, he put in this application to, uh, it was a lottery for a, uh, a lottery in order to be able to, to come to the U.S. We wanted to seek me additional medical treatment for my mother. Um, and um, we were part of the 1% that were selected uh, in that lottery to win the visas. Um, but unfortunately, once the, all the, the, the bureaucracy and, and all of the paperwork was done, by that time, my mother had already passed away. Uh, so it was just my father and I. And um, I'll never forget that, that flight over from Cuba because that was a, a very defining moment of my life as well. I'd always hear that my mother had passed away. Uh, they didn't want to, they didn't take me to the funeral. They didn't take me to the, to, to even the cemetery. Um, they just felt that I was too young, too little, and they didn't want to take me there. And, um, I, I'd heard, I'd heard that my mother had gone to heaven um, at that age. I heard that this was going to be the last time that we would ever be able to be in Cuba. Um, I saw my family crying at the airport as they were saying goodbye to us. My uncle came up to me. I was five. I was six years old. My father, my uncle grabbed me by the arms and he said, one day we're going to see each other again. And um, on top of this, I'd always heard people speaking about the story of a fighter pilot, Major Orestes Lorenzo, a man that had balls of steel, that had gone 
escaped Cuba in the MiG-23 and had gone back in a Cessna 13 months later, landed in a highway, turned around in less than 60 seconds and picked up his wife and two kids and escaped Cuba and communism. And um, it was an incredible, heroic story of courage, of love, of doing anything for your family. And, um, and um, that really re- resonated with me as a little kid. And um, I always thought, well, the only way that I'm going to be able to go back to Cuba and see my grandma, see my sister, which my mother had just passed away. So they were my my only female supports growing up, my sister, my grandmother. And um, and I loved them dearly. And I, I thought to myself, well, the only way that I'm going to be able to see them again is is by becoming a fighter pilot and doing just what Arrestes Lorenzo did to rescue his wife and two kids off the side of a highway, flying less than 10 feet above the water to not be detected by any radars um, and in a, in a little Cessna uh, airplane. And, um, you know, that, that, that's what motivated me to, to become a fighter pilot. Um, you know, but it, it's, it's, it's funny because as a little kid, being five years old, my mother passes away. My dad gets two jobs in Cuba. He, he's working as an electrician during the day. And in the evenings, um, he was working at a, at a bar at a social club uh, for workers of the, of the government there in the city. And um, he would take me with him to work. And I would always, uh, since it was a social club and he was the bartender, there was music and people would get up and dance. And um, at five years old, I, 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 that's what I would see almost every evening. And um, I began to, to dance and to sing music. And music was really something that um, I really held really dear to my heart and to who I am. When I was in high school, I did a whole year of music engineering at a, at a high school nearby uh, as part of an elective. And um, I even was on TV. I made it a, on a talent show that was broadcasted on TV when I was 17 years old. And I was uh, going into nightclubs and doing improvisations. And uh, I would do rap battles in Spanish. Um, and, and my dad would tell me, as long as you get straight A's in school, you're, I'll, I'll let you do this. And that, and anyways, um, but once I graduated high school, um, that was another defining moment where I had already appeared on TV. I was, I knew how to do the music engineering. Uh, I had worked in a studio while being a, a high school student, and um, music was really pulling and tugging to my heart. But at the same time, I would have dreams of that flight over from Cuba, when that airplane touched the ground, uh, Jack, everybody, everybody in the airplane would jump up and they would start crying and tearing and, and, and saying Liberty at last. Um, and me being a little kid and seeing that, like I said, about the story about my mother, the story about Arrestes Lorenzo at that time, when I graduated high school, there was as much as I loved music, there was, there was no way that I could turn away from becoming a fighter pilot and, and doing so as the best uh, fighter pilot that, that could ever be. And that's what I wanted to do. Ignacio, let me um, 
I mean, it's just hard to even comprehend all that. Uh, I want to go back a little bit. Right when you came over with your dad, it's just you and your dad. Tell me about that experience. What are some things that he taught you as you were coming to a new country and, and you guys were were alone? Yeah, um, well, I had already gotten used to going to work with my dad in Cuba um, going to the learning about the, the dancing salsa and, and my dad didn't like dancing and he wasn't into music, but I, I, I did. And, um, I was used to that. And as soon as we came to the U S you know, I was the one that picked up English in the household within three months. Uh, I was already speaking English. I was in, I would, I would go to an elementary school in downtown Atlanta and in North Drew Hills area uh, Briarcliff actually. Um, and, um, I would go to this elementary school and after the first, the the announcements, I would be taken on a bus to a, to another school to learn English. Um, and in less than three months, I graduated from that school and I was automatically put in second grade, even though I was six years old, um, because of my age, I was supposed to be in first but I passed the math test that they gave me and I passed another exam and, and they passed me, they moved me to second grade. Um, so I was always the youngest kid in all, all of my year groups um, throughout school. And um, my dad would uh, take me to work with him. He, uh, from the very beginning, within two years of, of us, uh, being in living here and, um, yeah, moving to, to, to the suburbs of, of Georgia, of Atlanta in Winnett County. Um, uh, my dad became a garage door installer. He learned how to do everything with garage doors the openers, build them, um, maintenance and repair, even, even, um, uh, uh, do all types of custom, commercial or in residential jobs. And he would always bring me with him for um, spring break, summer break, um, anytime there wasn't any school or even on weekends. And um, on one of those trips, I remember clearly it was in the winter, actually a winter break in the North Georgia mountains, Dahlonega. Um, we were putting garage doors. The temperature outside was about 20 degrees it was, it was, it was bad. And we were installing these garage doors. And I remember my dad showing me his hands, his skin cracked, bleeding. Um, and he sat me down. I was only about nine years old at that time. And he said, you know, we, we came here, um, so that we would have freedom so that you wouldn't have to face what I faced growing up in that country. Um, here you can be whatever you'd like if you put your mind to it. And, um, and yeah, and he said, look, look at my hands. These don't have to be your hands. You could be working in an office on a computer, um, doing other things. And that really stuck to me. You know, my mother had passed away. My dad was such an important figure in my life. Um, he's the one that taught me, uh, math and, and a few things actually before the, uh, <laughs> before our visa interview in Cuba, he's, he, he, see my dad, somehow he, 
he thought that they would ask me math questions and they would if i would have to pass a certain test as a six-year-old in order to be able to come to the u.s so my dad would teach me math and teach me all these things uh which is the reason why i was able to pass a grade when i got to the u.s when i got to the u.s um but yeah my dad taught me those values and and then afterwards, you know, three years later, his brother came from Cuba as well. My uncle, who's my best friend, uh, person that I get so well with, who stayed in Miami, uh, Rafael is his name. And I would, he, my dad told me, he said, if you get straight A's, if at the end of every school year, you finish with straight A's, every semester you get straight A's, you will be able to go every summer you want to Miami, spend the whole summer break in Miami, with my own, with my brother, and um, and I'll, I might even give you two hundred dollars, two three hundred dollars, and um, that was enough motivation for me to to like that's I said, all you needed. That's all you needed. That's right? all I needed to to kick butt and take names. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good description of what happened uh, the rest of your life. You know, we we uh, I think this is a good break point for us. So we want to just kind of set the stage today um, with your background, uh, give uh, an idea of the severity of, of your injury. And uh, next month, we're going to describe in detail what you had to go through from a rehabilitation standpoint, how you conquered walking and flying again and the incredible work that you're doing to help not only yourself, but others with uh, who suffer spinal cord injuries. So we're, we're excited to get pick this back up next uh, session with you, Ignacio, and, and thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Well, folks, this session has set the stage for our interview next week with Ignacio as he describes in great detail uh, the rehabilitation process he had to go through, how he conquered walking, yes, walking, and flying again, and the incredible work that he's doing to help himself and others who suffer spinal cord injuries. So thanks for being with us. And I wanna encourage you to, to uh, do just what Ignacio is doing, and that is being a positive influence in the lives of others. And I look forward to being with you again uh, with Ignacio next week.